History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Helen Ivisevich. She's an evangelist and author and has got an incredible testimony. Welcome along, Helen. Tell us a bit of your story. Where were you born and raised? Well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell my story. Um, We all have one, and I'm appreciative that I get a chance to tell mine again and again and again and again. My parents were born in uh, West Australia in the Swan Valley. My father was a pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force, and after World War II, they migrated to the United States. And I was born in a place that nobody really knew of at that time called San Jose, California. But everyone who knows technology knows that's the middle of Silicon Valley. So I was born in the United States of Yugoslav parents with a Catholic background in 1951. And was it a strong religious upbringing? No, we we were sort of the Christmas and the um, Easter kind of Catholic, but everybody was Catholic. The thing that impacted me most with my upbringing was being that my parents were Catholic and from a, a different country. They perceived women as having only really one direction to go with their life, which was to get married and have children. Even though I was smart enough and had been offered uh, to go on to university and do different things, um, my parents didn't allow that. And it brought me to the brink of what began to be a spiral that brought me through my testimony, which was I wasn't suited for being a wife and a mother. I wasn't suited to be a secretary. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize there were any other roles in life for a female. And it took many years for me to see the truth on that. Now, you've certainly got an incredible story. Uh, tell us a bit about mm-hmm. how life went downhill for you. And, and you ended up being a part of the, the Hells Angels bikey gang. Tell us, tell us what life was like mm-hmm. for you, you know, as a teenager. And how did you end up in that, in that kind of lifestyle? Well, I was graduating high school in 1969. And everyone else was going to to the altar to get married or going to college. And I wasn't doing either of those. So unfortunately, on the weekends, I'd go up to San Francisco for all the the rock and roll because it was the hippie times in the city of San Francisco. And I got involved in recreational drugs. At 18, I was ready to move into my first place, uh, my own little unit. And that night, which was New Year's night, 1969, going to 70, my girlfriend and I went to a party and I was introduced to the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. Well, about two weeks after I'd met them, they were sort of living at my house because they'd been evicted. And to make a long story short, the person that I was with, the man that I was with, had a uh, what we used to call righteous old lady, which is like the number one because they had many girls around them. She didn't like me and she set me up and I was gang raped, held captive, sodomized and left to die in the Santa Cruz mountains. Wow. When I came out of that experience, 
what happened to me is not as common today, but back then it was very common. My family didn't believe that I was raped. They thought I was just loose. The doctors didn't believe that I was raped and the police didn't believe I was raped. So at the age of 18 years old, going through that, I internalized everything as being my own fault. The shame that came with it and the shame of being, you know, no longer a marriage material according to my family traditions. I was lost with no purpose for life. So I intend, I started living like there was no purpose for my life and whether it ended now or whether it ended later, I would just wander through this earth until my time was done. It was really a downward spiral uh, that you went through. Tell, tell us what happened next. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of, you know, the, the overwhelming desire to die, which in essence, when you know people are addicted to substances, there is a, a death wish that's attached to it because there's such shame and such suffering that you're actually playing with these things, hoping that it shortens your lifespan because that's less time to live in pain. Um, I became a full-on addict. Uh, I rode with the Hells Angels because they accepted me back in. I ended up getting infantigo, and because I was doing so much amphetamines, um, I had keloid scars all over my face. So my face was completely destroyed with, with scar tissue that was a quarter or a half an inch off my skin. They called me the girl with the nickels and dimes on her face. And I overdosed on drugs, left in my parents' front yard taken to a mental institution where I was in the locked ward as a paranoid schizophrenic and the doctors performed some of the shock treatments that we see in movies uh, today. I don't know that they still do it in a treatment sense, but I had, I had nothing. And, and when I met Christ, I mean, I don't mean to jump ahead too far ahead and I'll probably cry because I just never get here without shedding tears of gratitude. I remember when I had received Christ, I wanted a Bible. And the only place I could find a Bible was uh, in a Goodwill store. Someone had taken a Gideon Bible and put it in a depository box. And I went in to buy it with my pegged pants and my, you know, Hell Angels tattoos and the whole thing. Uh, and the lady looked at me like, what are you going to use it for? <laughs> and, and I said to read, you know, because I, I couldn't imagine there's any other use for it, but it's a bit naive. When I walked outside, I had emptied my pockets, which was the whole 25 cents. And the Lord said to me, probably one of the greatest things he ever said in, in my beginning all the way through my life. He said to me, it'll cost you everything to serve me. And I remember being so humbled and and overwhelmed and saying something in return to him. I don't have anything anyway. When you know you don't have anything, it's just real easy to give away. So I got everything while I had nothing. You know, and I kind of jumped ahead there, but, you know, to let you know, my life spiral to where I was physically deformed. I was incapable of speaking coherently. I was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. I'd been gang raped and given um, several uh, diseases in that encounter. And all of a sudden there comes this 
this moment. My sister-in-law invited me to church so I could see my nephew who had just been born. And I went into this little church, 10 people in it. They had a honky-tonk piano. And they're singing off key. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord is. And I'm coming from, you know, Haight-Ashbury and rock and roll and Jimi Hendrix and this honky-tonk piano with a woman singing out of key. There are only 10 people in the room. And the pastor of the church, who was in his 80s, Lamar Dole, he'd been raised up under Amy Simple McPherson, he came over to me and he lifted his hand to prophesy. Now, I know that now, but on the day when he lifted his hand up, I gave him a right cross and knocked him flat out on the floor. <laughs> and everybody just in shock. But as a man lifted their hand to me, they were, they were going to hit me, so I hit him. <laughs> and remarkably, he got up and composed himself. I was so grateful. And then a word of prophecy about the reason for my life and on October 19th, 1975, I realized why I was born. And I had this absolutely brand new beginning in Christ that no one can, can quite understand. And I can honestly tell you, I didn't have any Christians around to show me what was happening because I was too weird for the Christians and too Christian for the weird. So I, I was very, um, I spent a lot of time alone with God. And I, I kind of like when you learn stuff straight from him. It doesn't have any religion attached to it. It just has the simplicity of this absolute unconditional love towards anyone, regardless of how they've wasted the time they've had on this earth. Wow. Well, it's an incredible story of transformation, you know, being healed and set free from paranoid schizophrenia, uh, you know, delivered yep. from drug addiction, you know, a, a former yep. prostitute and hell's angel box. You, you went through everything. Tell us yeah. about your journey then to ministry, because when I first heard about you, I was at Bible College in Sydney, and someone gave mm -hmm. me a videotape and said, you've got to watch this this lady uh, share her testimony. I remember thinking, <laughs> wow. And, and you, you had been preaching all over the world, but tell us a bit about how yeah. you went from you know, getting saved to getting into preaching the gospel. When I got saved, the Lord called me to be an evangelist, a word that I didn't understand. I thought it was evangelist. But a person who was incapable of speaking because of paranoid schizophrenia was called to preach the gospel. And amazingly enough, whenever anyone asked me a question, I would say, me, evangelist. Just, you know, me, that I, I became an evangelist until I was an evangelist. And I just preached everywhere. In fact, I tell students in Bible school, uh, oh, my gosh. I love telling some of these stories. They make me happy while I'm listening to them. When I first started to, to study the Bible and, and to get out there and try to preach, the first place I preached was the uh, Spanish Assemblies of God. Now, these were rooms filled with all these old ladies who couldn't speak English. I really didn't know very, <laughs> very much theology. So my messages, were they were kind of better that these people didn't hear what I was saying. But I learned the art and the ability to stand up and speak by going into these churches and being paid with um, enchiladas and tacos. <laughs> when I went to Bible school, the last year I was there, the Lord told me that I was called to Australia. 
Now, my parents were Australians, as I said in the beginning. And right after graduation in 1983, I came here to start preaching. So I've been preaching in Australia since 1983. It has has been a a roller coaster ride because uh, I'm not a church. I'm not a pastor. um, I'm prophetic and evangelistic. And God has not married me into movements because I've preached across everything, the Catholic, the Anglican, the Quaker, in in every scenario. God has allowed me to stand sometimes in front of a pulpit if it's a mainline church, uh, in a pulpit if it's a, a church that acknowledges women, allowed me to move in the gifts of the Spirit. But this country has had a move of God that we need to recapture. And I believe that he is going to do that. He's about to do that. We're we're going to see the power gifts of God raised to the forefront. And I have been in this country faithfully all these years. Many times people have asked me why I don't, you know, go back to America, because life would be somewhat easier um, if I was in the States, but then I'd be disobedient to God. So therefore, it really would never be easier. And I believe that we have an end time revival that is just percolating in all of our hearts where we want to see the word and the good news of God. We want to see the miraculous. And I'm going to be part of that. I, if, I, if I go up in the rapture, I'm going from Australia. <laughs> well, I hear your passion in your voice today. And it reminds me when I first heard you share your testimony on that videotape many years ago. It's so good to hear your story today and that... Uh, the Lord ain't done with you yet. He's still got many more great plans for you and for this nation. I completely agree with you, Helen. And and you've actually mm-hmm. been on the media in Australia a lot. You were on like the Bert Newton show. What, what other kind of yeah. programs have you featured on over the years? Um, well, in Australia, uh, Good Morning Australia. Oh, gosh. Uh, the Today Show. Uh, Ray Martin was one of my favorites. Uh, and George Negus was also one of my, Ray Martin, he just knew how to interview you without too much bias. George Negus was exciting because he was so confrontational uh, under that kind of, you know, that, that give and take. That was brilliant. I was on the Burt Newton show and then I've been in a lot of the major newspapers and many of the services back in the um, early 90s made it to the national news because whole cities came to hear the gospel. I mean, the whole city. Mm. Um, I drove from from um, Sydney all the way up to Cairns, and some of the places I preached, you know, the the town wasn't that large, and it had three churches, and there was no Christian radio, you know, there was no Christian television, and so an event of of a girl coming in on a Harley, just the whole town came out, and just like in biblical times, the city came. And they heard the good news, and it was reported on the national news. Wonderful. Well, I could picture you riding in on a Harley Davidson, ready to preach the gospel. Uh, And uh, you've got a book coming out, I understand? I'm working on a book right now, and it's called In My Shoes. Um, I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I want the book to come out at a time when I'll be able to travel in Australia so that I can do some follow-up with it and and capture some interviews. I'm really extremely blessed because um, I'll just give you a short one in the city of Penrith uh, fire on the top of the building 
caused people to pull over on the sides of the street to call the fire department. Well, it was me preaching in the building, and when the fire department ran in, the Holy Spirit slayed them all, and, and, and they're running in with the hose, and they're falling down as they go. Wow, wow, incredible. Yeah, in Australia, there's so many stories of things that have happened here. Now, if people would like to uh, search you up online and connect with you, uh, how do you pronounce your surname? Is it Ivisovic? That's fine, yes. You spell it I Weisvich. Ah, Weisvich. Okay, I like that. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's and, easier uh, that way. And I know that there's YouTube videos. People can look you up on Facebook. They can uh, see uh, lots of great videos online as well. Uh, it is so good to hear your story today, Helen. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.